When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to the Rico Bronia, where we're going to depress you. I'm just warning you right now, there's going to be a lot of depressing in this edition of Rico. We go back a few months and remember the offseason. Remember that simpler time? A time of, ooh, are they going to bring back Jake? Ooh, are they going to bring back Brandon Nimmo? Ooh, how can they improve off of that 101 win team? Obviously, we know the Mets suck in 2023. None of us had any clue that was going to happen. But there were a lot of strong opinions on what they could have done or should have done during this offseason. And so this is our chance to really Monday morning quarterback it. Obviously, there are some things that I know Pete wanted them to do that they didn't do, some things I wanted them to do. And we can analyze, would we have been better off? Would we have been better off if this happened? Would we have been better off if that happened? It'll be an interesting thought experiment, and we'll do this a couple of ways. I went back and looked at a couple of different publications. SNY did their off-season rankings. They said, hey, these are the 10 best targets for the New York Mets. I looked at Rising Apple, which does another great job of, hey, these should be the top five targets for the New York Mets, and also what I personally thought and what Pete personally thought. I got to kick it off in one place, though, with one guy in particular, because we got to start off here in fairness to the great Pete Hoffman. For over a year, yes, a year, because he was doing it last year right at this time, Pete Hoffman was asking for one man. And at the time I was with him, I think last year during the lead up to the trade deadline, I was totally on your side. Let's bring this guy in. I know he's not having the greatest season in the world with Boston, but bring him in. Why not? It'll be an upgrade. I really thought if you bring him to the Mets, even coming off of this disappointing year where his power went away, maybe being in a pennant race will rejuvenate him. So while I was on your side, I won't take the credit because during the offseason, you were banging the drum even louder. I had kind of been like, eh, I guess he's probably done. He's 35. He's coming off a bad year. So, Pete, the floor is yours. J.D. Martinez was your guy. Yeah, and the reason why I was so high on him is because he did have a not a so-so 2022. And I, I liked the fact that you would probably sign him for cheap. And the biggest thing is the biggest – two of the biggest issues were catcher – and the DH spot, and he does what we really need. 
hit both lefties and righties. Now, again, I didn't expect him to be this, you know, rejuvenate his career, but I did expect him to be able to hit for, for power and for average, which is something right now that the Mets have been needing. And if you look look what he's done in L.A., it, it took a couple weeks because he was pretty bad to start the season, and I think he was on the I.L. to start the season. But since he came back, guy's a stud. No, J.D. Martinez, looking at his production with L.A. this year, first of all, he's he's certainly proven me wrong. I didn't think, coming off of the year he had with Boston, that he was going to be able to match his home run numbers, you know, 57 games into the season, which was what he did. Last year with Boston, he had a 790 OPS, hit 16 home runs, hit 274. His home run numbers were way down. This year with the Dodgers, he's already hit 16 home runs. He's got an 872 OPS. He has hit righties more than he's hit lefties, but I think J.D. was always one of those guys where if you signed him, he's the D.H. period stop. Like, he's not coming here to platoon with Daniel Vogelback. And, look, J.D. Martinez has had a fascinating career because he was sort of thrown away by the Astros, had huge years with Detroit, had a huge year with Boston after he left Arizona. It looked like he was done again. Now he comes back and he has this big year for L.A., uh, I, I definitely think that's one to circle and say if J.D. Martinez was signed and was handed the D.H. spot, the Mets would be better off because their D.H. production this year, despite the recent hot streak of Daniel Vogelback and Tommy Pham having a good year, their D.H. production, I know that can be a little a little odd to look at because you got guys playing D.H. who may not necessarily be the guy added to the lineup, if that makes any sense. Like Tommy Pham is the right-handed DH, but there's a lot of days where he's playing left field. And so Marcan is DHing. So the production numbers aren't 100% accurate if you're trying to figure out. But their DH production overall is still not great. Like, it's not. It's the, it's the bottom three in the league. And if J.D. Martinez was here, this lineup is better. So that's a point for you, Pete. I, I, I hand it to you. The Mets, I, I think that's a universal. They would have been better off if they signed J.D., there would have been less room for Mark Vientos, but guess what? They ain't playing Mark Vientos anyway, and they sent them back to Triple A. So it would have worked. It would have been a good signing. Uh, any other final thoughts on that before we go to the next guy? No, and again, too, just just a reminder. This is where he the the contract was not big either. I think he signed one for 10, 10. Is that what it was? One year, ten million. You're right on. Yes, not a terrible contract. Oh. The one of the first guys, similar vein, sticking with the DH kind of situation, because that was really the bat they were trying to add was or the bat we thought they should have added was a DH. I think we were pretty set with most other positions uh, was Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu signed pretty early on uh, during the offseason. And I remember you brought it up on the pod and I think you brought it up on the midday show as well. Hey, why not Jose Abreu? Jose Abreu was coming off a year with Chicago in which his power numbers were way down, but he's still at 300 and still had a productive season. But he's 36 years old. He mostly plays first base, so it's not, where's he playing? He's really DHing unless you want to get Pete an off day. And Abreu's defense has been good uh, in the past. I'm not sure where it is now at 36 years old, but he's been a solid defensive first baseman. That would have been a swing and miss. Because Jose Abreu with the Astros this year has been awful. He's hitting 225, which is far and away the lo- lowest of his career. His power has completely disappeared, even worse than last year when his power numbers were down. 
And even though he started to heat up a little bit for Houston, at 36 years old, it's fair to look at Abreu in his 587 OPS and say he may not have much left. So if the Mets had signed Abreu, uh, we'd be crushing him right now because his numbers are worse than Vogelbach's. They just are. So that was one. And I, and I wasn't a big fan of it. You were in the middle. You mentioned it. You said, ah, is he not better than what we have? The truth is he's not better than what we have. He's been awful this season. And if I'm correct, he was a multiple multi-year deal. Was it like three for 36? I, it wasn't too, anything too crazy. Yeah. But yeah, was- he, signed, he, he signed a three-year $58 million deal. Okay, so here's the thing is, and Steve Cohen, I love that he could just write off any mistake, but at some point in time, and we'll dive into this later on in another podcast, but at some point in time, he's going to get sick and tired of writing off bad contracts. And if he signed Jose Abreu, besides the production value, you're not going to, is he going to, would he keep him here for three years with, with being so unproductive? So a lot of this is still predicting what Steve Cohen will do. I don't think he will ever stop writing checks. I think he'll fire the guys that told him to write the check. So if they hand out bad contracts and it's really bad, like awful, awful bad, I don't think he'll then say, hey, I'm going to be like the Wilpons. I don't want to spend. I just spent on this. I think it'd be more going to his GM and saying, what the F are you doing? Like, what? Why did you recommend Jose Abreu? A few of the other bats that they were looking at, because remember during this offseason, you certainly had the opinion they should add a bat. I think there were a lot of Met fans who said add a bat, but there weren't a lot of positions to upgrade. You know, they added Omar Narvaez, which caused a lot of Met fans to wonder why they were adding him, thinking, hey, with Tomas Nito and Francisco Alvarez and James McCann, even at the time being on the roster, why are they adding Narvaez? So certainly the thought of adding a catcher wasn't there. Pete Alonso is your first baseman. Jeff McNeil is your second baseman. Francisco Lindor is your shortstop. There was a thought about third base, but it was really only with superstars, as we remember. The Carlos Correa flirtation, the idea of Trey Turner, the idea of Xander Bogarts. Like, no one was saying add some average third baseman because you knew Beatty was in the wings. Adding an outfielder, sure. Brandon Nimmo coming back was huge, and he was certainly a part of these Part of these names, but I think we all agree they have to keep Nemo. We did a whole podcast. They have to keep Nemo. Marte's your right fielder. So it was really either a DH or someone to play third base. So let's get to the superstars. All those shortstops that we thought for a second could either move to third base. Trey Turner, I had suggested the outfield for, and I had suggested Turner was probably going to replace Brandon Nemo. That was one of the ideas we talked about during the offseason. When we talk about Turner and Correa and Bogarts, I do want to at least acknowledge they are in the first year of a long contract. And to bury somebody in year one would be foolish. Francisco Lindor did not have a great first year here. Carlos Beltran did not have a great first year here. But for this season, for this season, Trey Turner would have been a disaster. For this season. Now, do I think Trey Turner is going to be okay? Of course I think he's going to be okay. Trey Turner is what he is. He's an 850 OPS guy. Like, he'll be there. Maybe he's dealing with what we've seen a lot from, which is a bad first year in a big market. But if Trey Turner had signed with the New York Mets and was hitting 244 
and had seven home runs and a 673 OPS. I don't give a rat's ass Pete if he's playing shortstop, third base, left field, DH, center field, right center field. We would be crushing him. The early returns on Turner to the Mets would not be good. No, and that's one of my favorite players right now in baseball is Trey Turner. And he has just been a shell of himself, power-wise specifically. Speed, he's had his moments, but it's just the extra base hits really aren't there. Uh, I think his defense has been fine, but that's – you're not, you can't get away with that too much longer. Like Francisco Lindor can't no. get away with the fact that, hey, his defense is still solid. <laughs> I don't care. When you're making that much money, you got to produce. And, and Turner's not right now. The one that we were closer to seeing as a Met was obviously Carlos Correa because that was realer. They agreed to a deal. We sat there for two weeks waiting. And again, it's year one. Carlos Correa is having a better year than Trey Turner, but not by much. He's, he's hitting 219. He has a 7-11 OPS. He spent some time on the injured list. The Correa thing, which is closer to home than any of these other moves, because it was done. It was going to happen. Carlos Correa would be being booed so loudly right now at City Field. It's not funny. And then I don't know about Beatty. Like, does Beatty get traded? Is Beatty in the outfield mix? Where is Where does Brett Beatty even fall if they pulled off this signing for Correa? And obviously, Correa's had a terrible season. Well, if you, if you, uh, the fact that Correa's production was terrible, uh, besides the point, you would definitely be trading. Beatty would be a a trade ship, no question, because there's no room for him anywhere at that point in time. You're stuck with Correa, you're stuck with Lindor, unless somehow we're going to find a way to get rid of those guys in the trade downline or in the future. But again, it's amazing. So far, a bunch of the names that we've talked about failed. And yes. that's what's gonna that's, that that is gonna be a main storyline throughout this entire podcast. Yes. A lot of our targets were gonna be just as bad. So yes. nothing was gonna work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. By the way, that's the moral of this story. <laughs> the moral of the story is this all sucked. And as you were talking about that with Beatty being a trade chip, one of the rumors I had heard, that we had all had heard, was that the Marlins were really hot for Brett Beatty. And before making the trade for Luis Arise, which obviously has worked out incredibly well. He's flirting with 400, was the idea that they would have traded Pablo Lopez for Brett Beatty. Now, Pablo Lopez has gone out and made every start. He's thrown 90 innings, which there's a value to that. He has pitched to a 4-4 ERA, which is not great. Now, you could certainly argue, hey, I'll take the 4-4 ERA. Give me the 15 starts and the 90 innings. I'm good. It's an upgrade. And it is. To it, but it ain't great. It's not fantastic. So that was would, one of the other options potentially if they had signed Correa. Would Pablo Lopez have won today's game or yesterday or the uh, Wednesday's game versus which game, the Astros? Which game we talked? The yeah. Wednesday game against the Astros? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and by the way, the timeline works on this. That trade of Lopez to Minnesota for Arise was in late January, so it was about three weeks after the Correa thing fell through. So. I'm not saying that would have happened. I wouldn't have been a fan of that trade too, by the way. I would not have been celebrating it. There were a lot of things that could have occurred as fallout from signing Carlos Correa, in fairness. Not just potentially trading Beatty, maybe trading Escobar, maybe Carlos Carrasco. I think there were certainly a lot of things on the table. 